So in these uh, dog days of summer, UPC, as Barry just mentioned, um, our spiritual growth team's been offering this kind of lighthearted, intergenerational Sunday school uh, that puts the gospel in conversation with some other beloved story arcs in our culture. Today, Kyle Beardsley, he taught a session on the interplay between scripture and Star Wars. Next week, we have that uh, Gospel According to Ted Lasso session. Last week, though, Adam Lovelady led a session on Harry Potter. And so I'd like to yes and his, his class last week with this, um, with an illustration that draws from those novels, if I may. All right, so for those who know the, the Harry Potter books well, you'll remember that each year at Hogwarts brings a new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. And most of them are terrible in one way or another, right? But in the third volume, there's this, this kind but mysterious Professor Lupin. He assumes the mantle. Well, one day in class, he teaches the students this important lesson about fear. And he introduces them to this nasty creature called a boggart. And this creature is a shapeshifter. And what it does is it assumes the form of what you fear the most, right? So if you're afraid of snakes, it will appear as this giant cobra. If you're scared of spiders, it will take the shape of a terrifying tarantula. You know, if you fear dachshunds, well, I suppose it would become a viciously yapping wiener dog. I mean, I don't know. It's whatever you are scared of. And the spell to disarm this boggart is called ridiculous, right? Sounds like the word ridiculous. But it's not enough to just say the word. You also have to picture this thing that terrifies you in a truly ridiculous situation, if you're scared of spiders, you picture the spider with roller skates on and it's slipping and sliding all over the place. One student's greatest fear is the surly Professor Snape, so he pictures Snape wearing his grandmother's clothing. The point is, the antidote to fear is laughter. Don't trust what your eyes tell you at first. Adjust your vision Put on the proper corrective lenses, and that thing that you fear so much may not be as formidable as you think. The Apostle Paul, writing to a collection of Corinthian Christians, and also to us, suggests that we too need to get our eyes examined. So hear these words from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. But first, let us pray. Lord, be our vision as we read and hear your word. Open to us everything you wish for us to see and to hear. Amen. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. 
But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong. God chose to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Her first day of school photos are many. But it's not every day that you go to first grade, right? It won't be long before many of you take such photos and perhaps post them online. That's become a thing in more recent years. But back then, back then it was hardly the norm for any child to have a first day of school photo, much less the hundreds that were taken on that November New Orleans morning. Now, if you zoom in enough on the picture, it looks like an absolutely ordinary photo, starched and pressed uniform with a bow in the front, a white sweater and a ribbon in her hair to match a satchel for her books dangling from her right hand. Zoom out a bit more, however, you'll see something quite different because this first day of school photo belongs to Ruby Bridges on the day that she integrated William Franz Elementary School in 1960. Now in Ruby's first day of school photos, you'll find a small girl flanked by four U.S. Marshals, wearing their dark suits and their armbands, faces set stoically to follow a federal order to desegregate that previously all-white school. In Ruby's first day of school photos, you can see the boy holding a poster that reads, All I want for Christmas is a clean, white school. In Ruby's first day of school photos, you can see the woman holding up a miniature coffin with a black baby doll in it. But what the photo can't tell you is how the woman threatened the six-year-old child saying, I am going to poison you. I will find a way. Zoom out enough and this first day of school photo becomes deeply disturbing. The balance It's all off in those pictures. On one side, there's this small girl putting one step in front of the other. And on the other side, there's this formidable mob just foaming at the mouth as they spew threats and violence. It's the definition of an unfair fight. How is this child supposed to stand against such a powerful tide of hatred and prejudice? How does she stand her ground in an absolute hornet's nest? You know, when Paul wrote back to this congregation in Corinth, he was sad to discover that the church he had lovingly planted himself 
had also become a hornet's nest. You have to use the context clues to reconstruct what was going on, but it appears as if the Corinthians had divided into camps, some claiming that they follow Paul, others following Apollos, who's this smooth-talking, wise, great-preaching, you know, orator. Paul, on the other hand, had none of that polish. If Apollos is a smooth gemstone, Paul is just a clump of North Carolina clay. Faced with this leadership crisis, Paul writes to the church and he urges them to a deeper unity. That's the central theme of this letter, 1 Corinthians. But right off the bat, Paul offers this fascinating reflection on wisdom and power. In so many words, Paul urges us not to trust what our eyes tell us. The cross is utter foolishness, he says. Who in their right mind would follow an itinerant Jewish rabbi who had been executed as a common criminal by the Roman Empire? There's nothing powerful about this faith at all. Not in the eyes of the world, at least. But, Paul continues, God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised to reduce to nothing everything that's puffed up. Everything that appears to be mighty is nothing at all. Every force that feels unstoppable is actually feeble and frail. Powers of this world, they can rage all they wish, but they are rendered ridiculous by the cross. Now, none of this is intuitive, of course. It requires an eye exam. You know, Barbara Henry is the name of the lone educator who agreed to serve as Ruby's first grade teacher. And Ruby was her only student. As you might imagine, with a student-teacher ratio like that, you become awfully attached to your pupil. So Mrs. Henry would wait and she would watch for Ruby as she walked past that angry mob of protesters and take the steps up into that deserted school. One day, Mrs. Henry observed a break in Ruby's routine. Instead of just walking quickly past the throngs of people and ignoring them, on this day, she saw Ruby stop. She turned to the crowd, and she began to speak to them. Well, this was like pouring gasoline on their, on their anger, and they just seemed ready to pounce on her while the marshals tried in vain to, to keep Ruby moving along. Well, Ruby, eventually, she went up the steps into the class, and Mrs. Henry stooped down, and she asked her, Ruby, why did you try and talk to those people? Ruby responded, she didn't stop to talk with them. She said, I, I saw you, Mrs. Henry Press. I saw your lips moving. I wasn't talking to them, Ruby said. She was growing irritated. I was praying for them. See, Ruby's routine was always to stop a few blocks away from the school and pray for these people who hated her. But on this morning, she had, she had forgotten. She forgot she was right in the midst of them. So she turned and remembered. 
After school that day, Ruby bolted past the crowd as usual, and she headed for home with her companion federal marshals. And after a few blocks with those crowds behind her, she paused as she had every other day, and she prayed that same prayer that she repeated twice each day, before and after school. Please, God, try to forgive these people. Because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. So you could forgive them, just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you. It's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? To pray for people who wish you nothing but harm. You know, these, these hymns that we sing week in and week out, Like I told the children, they really are prayers. When we sing, we're praying. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Help me see the world right and all who are in it, not as objects of contempt, but as hurting people in need of compassion. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Help me put you and your way before the ways of the world, even when it is so, so hard. Thou my best thought by day or by night, help me render no one evil for evil. Help me meet cruelty with kindness. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Help me carry this cross no matter how foolish it might be, in every moment. It's a really absurd prayer, buried within an utterly ridiculous song about a cross that is as foolish as foolish can be. But y'all, if a six-year-old girl could sing it and pray it, and live it, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? Right? 